What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? And thank you. Thank you so much. My name is Gerald Valley, and this is The Drop-In. I'm not going to have the long opening this week because my guest has so much. I, I think we could fill up, like, seriously a month's worth of shows. I'm, uh, it, it's phenomenal. And he walks in, and he's talking about my resume. I'm like, dude, seriously. Like, uh, what are you talking about? I mean, just blew my mind when uh, he sent over his bio, and I'm reading through it, and I'm like, mm-hmm, 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 uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and he's like, I can't wait to be on the show, and I'm like, I can't wait to have you on the show, Bob. I cannot, because uh, you run into people, I run into people, and, and we're, we're giant magnets. We are totally giant magnets. We attract exactly the energy we put out. I'll give you one quick example. I met a gentleman the other day at the skate park, and we just started talking. He just picked up a skateboard again, 44 years old. We're hanging out, talking about things, and next thing you know, he's telling me about how he was a pro snowboarder, he was paralyzed, and he was healed by a Buddhist monk. Uh, duh, like you want to exchange information. So down the road, I am going to have him on the show. You just never know who you're going to run into. You never know who you hold the door open for. You never know who you're going to be polite to. And for no other reason than to be cool. Kindness costs nothing. It costs nothing. And you never know where it's going to lead. Most of the greatest opportunities in my life were, you can call them coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence. In math, when something coincides, it runs together. Think about that. Coincidence runs together. So when you think you have coincidences in your life, that's where you're supposed to be. So anyway, thank you so much for being here today. This show is here to inspire you to get your damn butt off the couch and make life happen. It isn't a dress rehearsal. You get one shot, one shot to make the most of it. And if you're not where you want to be today, only you can change that. You are responsible for you in every facet of your life, no matter what excuses you've made up to this point, just throw them out the window because you're responsible for you and where you you are going, where you're going to be tomorrow, and how you're going to spend even the rest of today. But for right now, for right now, I'd like to bring up somebody that, um, you know, the reason I get to do this show, the reason I get to broadcast across the world, we're in like 29 countries, I'll bet you it's more now. I'll bet you it's more, and the numbers keep going up, and the reason I get to do this is because of our awesome sponsors, and one of those sponsors is Century Mortgage Lending. I personally just refinanced my house and just got the beautification award from the city of Wyandotte last week, so I put the money into the curb appeal, making it look cool, making it look nice. You can put the money to whatever you want. but. Or if you're buying your first house, you just never know. Century Mortgage is helping me come to you. Their NMLS number is 134525. And you can purchase a house, you know, give them a call. Give them a call at 248-258-4977. And this is Century Mortgage Lending. So if you even have a question, if you're thinking about it, Give them a call and shoot the breeze and see what happens. That's what I did, and it just worked out great. My payment didn't go up that much. I did some great updates on my house. Phenomenal. So give Century Mortgage Lending a call at 248-258-4977. And thank you, guys. Thank you so much, because I get to continue to do what I love to do, and that's inspire as many people as I can across this great globe that we live on. And today... 
Oh man, oh man. You guys know the guests cover the gamut. They cover the uh, every different, I mean, arena rock stars, Hollywood stuntmen, pro skateboarders, and this guy, my friend Bob, he fits right in that model. Exactly fits with what the drop-in is about, with our mission statement, and he started a long time ago, and I cannot wait for him to tell you about it. Um, Bob is just a, a phenomenal guy. He started out uh, in mortgage at a very young age, starting his own business, and then from there, it's just like mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And I want to open with this awesome quote, and he's, he, he, he sent it in his bio, and I'm like, that's something I would put on my morning Facebook message or my morning social media message. You guys know, if you follow me, I open the day with a motivational quote, and they come from everywhere, from every different walk of life. And uh, this one could fit on there. At one point in his life, his boss advised, always say yes, because once you say no, you close the door to all possibilities. And that is the truth. That is the truth. Without anything more, Bob, thank you for being here today and spending an hour with us. How you doing, man? Gerald, it's great to be here. And I really am honored to be here. And, and I got to tell you, you're way more fascinating than any story I could tell with a lot more adrenaline. I think you've had more adrenaline probably in one afternoon than I've had in my entire life. Boring banker, you know, kind of boring. So I, I hope you'll fill in the gaps of my story here. <laughs> well, thank you for the nice words, but I didn't find anything about your story boring. That is not a word that would have crossed my lips if anybody asked me, you know, what do you think of Bob Wan? I would have been like, oh, well, let me tell you. And I could have ran down the gamut. It is truly amazing. And so to be able to bring this message uh, to our viewers, to be able to reach so many different walks of life with your message, because I think it resonates. I think from the beginning, it resonates and somebody can relate to a facet of your story. The hardest part for me was trying to fit, like paint it with a broad brush in 58 minutes because each section of your life, we could fill up an hour with that. And I know you'll agree. It's a disconnect, disconnected journey for sure. Yeah. 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 With, a, with a lot of twists to it. So. Well, let's start right at the beginning. You know, uh, you uh, grew up in Charlevoix. How was that? Well, great. I, my, my father and mother were from down here. And so when I was very little, they wanted to live up north. Uh, my dad loved to fish and loved the woods, and my mom was a bit of a vegan and a naturalist. So we um, we moved up to a small A-frame in the woods, uh, surrounded by a, a pond and lots of nature. I had about a 40-minute bus ride each way into town, and Charlevoix is just an idyllic place. I always say that if you graduate from high school there and you don't know how to make fudge, they throw you out of town. So, um, <laughs> But growing up up there, all I ever wanted was to be in the city. So I'd look at National Geographics and pictures of the city. And, you know, that's maybe the first lesson was you always want something you don't have, the, the grass on the other side of the street. So I couldn't wait to get out of there, get to New York and uh, live a real life, not that country bumpkin life that I was growing up in. Today, I can't wait to get back up north again. So... It all comes around yep. full circle, it was you know. A great place to grow up, though. Well, Charlevoix, uh, you know, in Michigan, everybody goes up north for yeah. the summer. I mean, uh, we go up there to visit. I've, I've been all over around the pinky uh, of Michigan honor. I love it up there. I love kayaking up there, Lake Michigan. If you are a, a fan of the ocean, we have our own freshwater ocean in Lake Michigan. It is beautiful 
up in the northern part of Michigan, but our state is beautiful everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. And and with all the water that's here, I mean, um, to live anywhere else, it's a tough thing. And I've always wanted to live anywhere else, and I've spent my whole life here in Michigan. So <laughs> that's it. It's gorgeous. A great place to be from. And if you haven't had the chance to get up there, I mean, uh, no, no advertisement from the tourism board, but it is an amazing, amazing place up in uh, that whole part of northern Michigan. Yeah, it is. It, it truly is. And, and a few of my guests, actually, it's interesting because you are, I think, the third guest who started up north and made the trek to the city at a young age. Uh, Leah Stefanski was on the show in the past, okay. and she started in a little town somewhere up north and, and made her trek to Detroit and, and ended up 20 years in the corporate world and realized that isn't what she wanted. I bought a, a, a hall in, in Wyandotte, and it's like number two all of downriver. I'm like, that's awesome. Why don't you yeah. come on the show and tell us about it? If you guys are interested in that, you can always check out Leah's show. Great, great message from her. Um, so growing, you grow up in Charlevoix. You, you're, you're there. Uh, you want more. You want more. So you decide, uh, well, I guess I should go to college. It, it was easy. My mother had moved to Royal Oak. My dad was staying in Charlevoix. And if you hold up your hand and look at the map, the farthest in-state school that you can get into would be Western Michigan University. So uh, that's where I chose to go and uh, landed a job there as an RA. Uh, so I was a dorm cop. And today I bump into people all the time that are middle-aged and they, they point their finger at me and say, I remember you. You wrote me up in college for drinking. Uh, but one afternoon, I, I wrote up one too many football players. He was a big guy from Central, and uh, he cleaned my clock. So uh, lesson number two, wear your badge. Make sure they know you're the RA, not just some bossy little guy. Um, but in eighth grade, Gerald, I was full size. I was 5'10", had hair on my chest. I was as you see me today <laughs> in eighth grade. So I was the center of the football team. So like that little dog that barks at the Doberman, right? I thought I could could boss this big football player around, and I think uh, he got the best of me that afternoon. So uh, it caused me to be a college dropout after my sophomore year. Uh, came back here. I was selling lawn spray right across the street, and I wandered into what is the Triatria building over there, beautiful glass building. And today might look a little dated, like 80s, but in 1988, that was the place everybody wanted to work. I mean, the movie Wall Street was out, and we all wanted to be bond traders. And we wanted to work in a building just like that. So I wandered in, saw there was a bank there, went back, borrowed my stepfather's tie, came back the next day with a typed resume, because that's how you would have had to make one. And um, I was selling fake Rolex watches in college to get by. I was selling um, you know, uh, different advertising specialties, like balloons and stuff, to fraternity houses. And so I was a pretty good salesperson, landed a, day, a job as a mortgage loan originator at the bank, hired by Mr. Baltazar, who gave me that wonderful quote. And at 19, I went home and I told my mom, I'm a mortgage loan originator. And she says, do you even know what that means? So we had these things called encyclopedias and uh, dictionaries. I looked up the word mortgage, and it actually means a cause to die loan. Mort is in mortuary, gauge is in engage. It's a loan that kills itself. It amortizes over time. So. Uh, I was in the death loan business uh, early on. So without knowing any better, by the end of the summer, we, I was the top salesperson at the bank. And my bosses didn't know I was 19. Uh, so I showed up at the savings and loan Christmas party, uh, drinking along with the, the older folks. And uh, that's where they realized that I was just a kid and I didn't belong there any longer. So uh, pretty shortly after that, I had to start my own company. Uh, 
and to stay in the mortgage business, which I, I loved. I loved the realtors, um, the activity of it, sales appealed to me. About the same time, uh, there was a little couple of young brothers, uh, Dan and Gary, that were also in the mortgage business. So my next company that we got into, we had a license number 3033, and um, their license was 3030. So that's my claim to fame today. And now, you know, you brought up starting a business. And I have to tell you, because before the show, we were shooting the breeze back and forth and looking at similarities, you know, and, and basically telling each other what badasses we are. It really, it was like, seriously, like this comment, you know, it was awesome. But you were talking about the differences. And I said, you know, our lives are very similar, just on a different path. At 20, you know what I was doing is I ordered a book for all of the fishing companies in Alaska because I heard it was the most dangerous job on the planet. And that's what nice. I wanted to do. So I was <laughs> filling out resumes to try to get on an Alaskan fishing boat because I heard it was the most dangerous job on the planet. That's a, a little different than your start, yeah. but, you know, we're here to talk about it today, so that's pretty cool. It's, um, my cousins did the same thing. They ended up in Alaska. My cousins up in Seward today, many, many years later, um, started out on the fishing boat, so I get it. And, and you know, I'm glad you didn't go on the fishing boat, actually. I'm glad you're here today, Gerald. I'm and glad. And that's, you know, that's what's kind of cool is that the road's never straight. People always say, well, how did you plan out your success? What? Well, if you have success, it wasn't because you planned. It was because you said yes to an opportunity that led to another opportunity. You held the door open for the guy on the bus. Um, you know, I, I, time and again, my best friends in the world are people that built fences for me. So um, people that you just didn't, didn't know that they were going to be such a big part of your life the day you sat down to, next to them on the bus. So. That is so true, so true. I got a great quote from a friend of mine, and he said, the most important people in your life you haven't met yet. And I think about that often. And, and a lot of people close because they don't give an opportunity, give themselves an opportunity to meet new people. Right. And you just never know who you're going to meet. But I want to know, you know, you brought up your business. How do you have the confidence at 20 years old, college dropout, to say, hey, I think I'll start my own business? Where did that come from? It's a good question because I don't remember. I, I don't remember thinking of it as being a big deal. And I think if you look back in your life, anything that you've done that you're most proud of, you didn't think it was going to be that hard, did you? I mean, if you, if you thought about it before you started, about how much trouble it was going to be, how hard it was going to be, how difficult it was going to be, you probably would have never started doing it in the first place. Uh, about seven years ago, after I sold the mortgage company and decided there was a law that came out called Dodd-Frank that I morally disagreed with, and I said, I can't be part of this industry anymore. Instead of making friends when I make loans, I was making enemies because we were documenting people so hard. I said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. This isn't me. So I, I looked at the world and I said, what needs to be done? And there was a guy doing some pretty cool things that was in the mortgage business in Detroit. I thought there's a little town called Pontiac just up the street. I looked at the, the numbers on it. It was basically a third world country in the center of the most wealthy uh, county in the whole state. And it was 15 minutes from my house. And so I bought a building there and started cleaning it up with some friends. I mean, literally on the weekends, we'd get up, get up there at 5 a.m. and uh, shovel stuff around and, and fix it up. Didn't ask anybody's permission. Didn't really even think about what we were doing. I just thought this place would be fun to fix. Um, I didn't realize that seven years later it would become the passion project of my life, uh, that trying to make this great American city uh, cool and, and diverse and non-chain um, store again 
you know, give it some, bring out the soul that was already there would be a career path. I mean, that's not what I planned. <laughs> I certainly, when I was selling lawn spray, I didn't think I wanted to sell cause to die loans either. Um, so I don't think that you should plan out your life. I think you should just let it flow and, and say yes to opportunities and not shut down because they don't make any sense. Well, um, and you bring up a great point. I bring up a book often, and it's called The Surrender Experiment by Michael A. Singer, and he just surrendered to the flow of life. Mm-hmm. And in two, the early 2000s, his company was worth like $6 billion, and all he wanted to do was sit in the middle of Gainesville, Florida, and meditate in 1977. Yeah. Like, it's crazy when you do get out of your own way and you, you embrace the opportunities that are presented, not saying, no, that isn't what I'm doing. Look at it a little closer and say, hmm, you know what? I think I'm going to do that. And you bring up Pontiac. Pontiac holds a it's dear to my heart because the Vans Warp Tour, uh, the concert that was on tour, when that first started, it was an amateur uh, skateboard showcase. Wow. And if you won, you got a plane ticket to California, and it was the top 50 amateurs in the world competed in California. Well, I was very fortunate and honored to win it in 1997 and 1998, get to go to California. That put me on the national map, and I thank Mr. Van Doren all the time for that opportunity. Uh, and the finals were always in Pontiac at the Phoenix Amphitheater. We hear that kind of story all the time because our formative years, what we started off talking about is when we were young and impressionable, right? From that eighth grade to, to sometime in our mid-20s, we're so open to anything that hits us that when, you're, when you get to be over 50 as I am today, you remember those days with wow, right? Uh, remember when, uh, you know? And, and the reason for that is the place that you were at, that physical spot that you were in in your life, then this is where being in a physical place and then returning back to that physical place and the importance of place comes in is, is so important in shaping who we are. So you came to Pontiac, you had an experience there in those formative years, and that's an important spiritual experience in that place, almost like the importance of going to someplace like Machu Picchu or, or Angkor Wat or um, Stonehenge or any of these religious sites or the Vatican. And it's because it's formative. Something special happened in that place. So when I first went to Pontiac, I started looking at the history of the place. It is a hill um, that's connected by a trail system called the Saginaw Trail. It's where the water meets the, the hill. So I told you that when I was in my 20s, I had a TV show over in Gross Point on Channel 32. It's called Good News. A friend and I started it because we looked at the news and he said, I don't watch the news. There's too much bad news out there. And I said, I, I watch a lot of news and I, you're right. I can't find any good news in it. So we created our own TV cable access long before Wayne's World happened over on the cable access channel in Gross Point. We did it for like four years. What year was that? And that was in uh, 1989 until four years later. And one of our guests was this young chiropractor named Dr. Bob Pezzamenti. And Dr. Bob came on the show. He just got out of chiropractic school. Today you know him as the innate chiropractic and psychedelic healing shack at Seven Mile in Woodward. And uh, Dr. Bob came on the show as one of our guests. And I'll never forget, he said, water and rivers are like bloodstreams in a city or in a geography. And when they stop flowing, the life of that area, that chi, stops going through the place. And in Pontiac, they had dammed off the river. And he had pointed out on the show that many years ago and left this impression for me that Pontiac was a dead place because they dammed off the river, they'd buried it under the street. But the Indians used to always camp, powwow, 
Every summer, three different tribes would meet on this hilltop where the river meets the hilltop meets the trail. So if you look at downtown, the main street, and Pontiac is called Saginaw. One day's walk from there down to the fort at Detroit where the river meets the hilltop meets the trail on the Woodward Trail, which was the Saginaw Trail. You've got the fort at Detroit. That's where the, the white man settled, right? But the Indians knew good real estate. So if you walk one day's walk north of Pontiac from in the summertime when they would move about, one day's walk was from was about a 10 or 12 hour day right here. So up there you get to Flint. What's the main street's name in Flint? Saginaw. And it's where the river meets the hilltop meets the trail. You walk east, you'll be at Port Huron, River Hilltop Trail. You walk west, you'll be at Lansing, Hill, River Hilltop Trail. Main street's name is Saginaw. You walk north, you're at the city of Saginaw. Main street's name is Saginaw. So you see this, If there's veins. If you hold up your hand right now and you look at it, you'll see veins running through your hand. The veins almost match up with the Saginaw Trail system. There's something really spiritual about this place that we live in called Michigan. Not only is it shaped like our something that's very important to us, but our hands, but you'll notice that the veins are the river lines and the hilltops are the tendons in your hand. Um, so when I discovered this about Pontiac, I thought, shit, I got... Sorry, I don't know if I can swear. No, that's all right. <laughs> I got sacred ground here. And it, sure enough, that first building we bought, 31 more North Saginaw, was an old bar called Whiskey's. Before that, it was a place called Giovanni's. Before that, it was a place called Lucky's. And way before that, there's a basement area. It was dirt floors. It was kind of low Michigan basement. We hand dug it out. We created a wine cellar down there, created this big 75-person table. We started doing underground kind of pop-up dinners and wine parties and stuff in there. And we found out that the brick wall in the front was actually a wall from some place called the Yellow Tavern. And back in 1834, Alexis de Tocqueville and his buddy Beaumont walked up the Woodward Trail, two French aristocrats who wanted to discover the ethos of the American spirit. And they got to our wine cellar, which was this the last known place to stay in the known world, because beyond that was the, was the hinterlands that only the natives went into. Uh, that was the last civilized place was Pontiac. And he wrote a whole chapter about the American ethos from this room that we now had. And this chapter talked about the American spirit, how individualistic we were, uh, and the book's called Democracy in America. And it was one of the most popular books in Europe to try to explain to the Europeans who are these American people and, and why, are, why are they over there and what are they doing. And um, I just think the history, and that's one of dozens of stories we found, Gerald, about Pontiac since we've been there, and trying to retell those stories again so that people today can appreciate I mean, we know it. When you're there in a sacred place like that, you can feel something. You felt it when you were young on the Vans tour, right? Mm -hmm. And when you come back there, you know something's happened here, but I don't know what it is. Um, when I was really young, instead of buying a car in high school, uh, I liked I liked women, and uh, <laughs> women speak French. And, uh, so I went to the French club trip and spent all my car money. But we went to Orléans, and I came back only to find out there's a picture of me in the square where Joan of Arc had, had, had been burned at the stake. But I didn't know that because I didn't know the history, right? It would have been so much more important to me had I known that history um, when I was standing in that square. So I kind of promised myself ever since then that I'd try to learn about the places that I was before I've judged them, right? So we all have a judgment about Pontiac and places like it. But know what was really there before you start saying, that's a shitty place, right? That's a shithole up there. Uh, it's unsafe. I don't want to go there. 
really understand it before you start making those judgment calls. So. And I love that. I love the history. Thank you so much for that history lesson. Where else can you get this? Only here on The Drop-In. We broadcast here every single week at the NRM studios, and nowhere else can you get this kind of insight. You Google Bob Juan, you're going to see all this mortgage stuff and this, that, the other thing. You're not going to get a history lesson about Pontiac and the reason he's working so hard to bring it back. You, so many different things. I talk a lot on this show about the goosebumps I get, and you can see them. They you haven't do. went away. I noticed that earlier. Yeah, They, they haven't cool. went away because I relate to so much. When I was 16, I played hockey in Sweden. I was like... A, I, hockey was my first love, and I was a goaltender. And when I was walking in Sweden, I, I got to go where they give the Nobel Peace Prize. And so all I could think about is, well, I'm walking where Albert Einstein once walked. Right. I had the wherewithal to actually have that thought because I was reading about Einstein at the time. Those things are so crazy. And then when you realize, uh, like Pontiac, and the life-changing experiences I had personally there, when you realize, well, there's a little more to that than just my little personal experience, you know, uh, the places like you brought up several, um, I always say, I, I want to go to Sedona. There's something special about Sedona. Yeah. Or down in Cary, Ohio, there's a, a shrine there where people go to get healed. There's places like that everywhere, and Pontiac is one of them. We're sitting here with Bob Wan ladies and gentlemen, and, you know, I'm so stoked you decided to stay here in Michigan. At one point, because you're in the mortgage industry, because you wanted to take over the world in the mortgage industry, you were thinking about going to New York City. Yes. What kept you here in Michigan? Well, I blame my wife for that. Exactly. I mean, she, she definitely <laughs> kept me here in Michigan. She had actually uh, moved from Michigan out to New York, and I caught her on the bounce. She was she was coming back to Michigan. She had moved back here. And I, I was in a bar one night, and I was packing up my stuff. I took a break to go up and have a drink. And I said to the bartender who was a friend, I said, you know, I'm finally getting out of the ghettos of Birmingham and leaving this place and moving to New York, as I've always dreamed to do. And her girlfriend came over, and she said, young man, you don't know what a ghetto is. You've never seen a ghetto if you think there's a ghetto in Birmingham. And then she took off to the bathroom. So I went over to my wife, or my future wife, my current wife, and I said, I said, I'm sorry I offended your friend. I understand what the ghetto is. I'm not a snobby little kid. You know, please forgive me. Can I buy you a drink? And the rest is history. I was actually interviewing for jobs on Wall Street. Um, I had a, a job uh, interview offer from a company called Cantor Fitzgerald, very famous bond firm. I was in the mortgage business with our friend Jess Monticello back in the day. <laughs> And I wanted to be out there. That's That was my dream. And I just finished my master's, even though I was a college dropout. Um, I wasn't going to let my grandfather down and, and not get a degree. And then I got the second one just to prove to him that I that I could. And um, after that, you know, I, I didn't take the job. My wife said, you know, you can, you, my girlfriend at the time said, you can move to New York. I'll come visit you. She was a flight attendant. But, you know, you, you really, the cost of living is pretty high out there. I think you'll come back to Michigan anyway. Um, and she was right. We ended up getting married and happily, you know, 22, 24 years later of marriage and a beautiful daughter, 22-year-old daughter, who was also decided after time away in Chicago and Rome that she'd rather live here in Michigan. It's an exciting time to be here, isn't it, Carol? It's I mean, amazing. You, you left and came back too, right? Well, and, and similar, similar. You know, uh, coming up in the skateboard world, everything, you know, the West Coast is the mecca of skateboarding. And I went out there and spent, you know, not even a full year. 
and I said, you know, the weather is beautiful. If I could transplant the people from southeastern Michigan to southern California, I'd probably never leave, but I'm going back to Michigan. And my sponsor said, that's cool, you know, as long as you keep producing and, and, and you're willing to travel to compete. And I came back to Michigan. I never left. And I love it here. I'm looking at Florida right now yeah. just because it makes my joints feel a little better to be in the warm weather. But I love the state of Michigan, and I'm very stoked that I decided to, to stay here and, and, and continue to build the Downriver area. Um, you know, just by inspiring people. Uh, currently, I'm the president of a nonprofit down there, and we got a quarter million dollar matching grant from the Hawk wow. Foundation to build a skate park in southeastern Michigan. And it's, it's a cool time to be here and give back a little bit of something that has been so important to me and, and opened so many doors. Skateboarding's been awesome, but the doors it's opened, I, I could never imagine that. And, and your path is, is very similar. You know, how, uh, you know, starting your own company and, and uh, why, did you, why did you start writing books in, in a community access uh, TV show? Why, what made you feel like you wanted to reach more people? What was it for you? Again, I don't, I don't know what the real impetus was. It was just an opportunity, and it sounded fun and interesting. And, yeah, we'll try that. You know, it was one hour a week on Fridays for the TV show. The book started out, um, we had started a company off the mortgage business called Vacation Finance. Um, I had been reading a lot about baby boomers. So what, what's next, right? The, the math of it all is interesting to me. And what people's motivations of why they do what they do um, having studied economics, that, that's what it's all about. And um, all these baby boomers, the question I had was, where will they retire? You know, looking at their finances in the mortgage business, I realized, and this was back in the early 2000s, um, I realized that people wanted champagne, but they could afford uh, discounted beer, right? And so as, as we get to this time that we're at today, where the baby boomers are now uh, 60 and older, and ready to retire, the question I had in 2002, 3, 4, 5, and 7 was, how are they going to afford this? How are they going to afford to have a condo in Vail, a house in Naples, and a place in Oakland County? Um, and I, I realized back then that this was going to be expensive. And so it got me running down a thing called fractional ownership and timeshare and uh, what was condo hoteling. And so we made a whole market in uh, taking hotels and turning them into individual hotels each hotel room into a condominium and then finding a way to finance that. And it was a really exciting time uh, pre-2008 for that um, new way of owning your vacation. Just instead of back in the day with cars, they used to say, why buy a whole buy pie if you want a piece? Everybody, 90% of all cars were sold and 10% were leased. Today it's flip-flopped. It's like 80% cars are leased and 20% are sold. And the same thing, I think, will evolve in real estate, and you're seeing it with this generation today where they would rather rent than own, is why own the whole thing if you only want the time you want? And, and then you only have to pay for what you use. So that was the reason I wrote the book. It was called Besting, Better Nesting. It was this exploration that I, questions I had that I wanted to figure out. Um, and so the book gave me access to people that were smarter than me that I could ask questions of and then why do you why are you asking me this bob and i say well i'm writing a book about it and i i actually wrote you know a couple books that way just because i wanted answers to questions and looking back on it now honestly gerald the book was um not as well written as i would have liked it's certainly not a novel it was more of a business book but it sold pretty well borders put me on a book tour 
at one point. I got to meet some really interesting people, and it led me to write for a magazine called Travel Girl. And, you know, that would be definitely a magazine you could see me writing for, right? Uh -huh. And um, I got to take a trip for my 40th birthday around the world in eight days on for, for Travel Girl to try to show. I was called the Vacation Economist and try to show how you could take a trip like that affordably and on the time that you still had off from your job left in your vacation days for the year. So if you had just a week left, how do you maximize your week of travel with your airline miles and less than $5,000? And that's how I pulled it off in the fall of 2008. So, it, you know, crazy opportunity. Why did I do it? I have no idea why I did it, except it was there, right? You know, it's why, why did you jump something with your skateboard? Because you could. Yeah. So, and I think the thing I find with people is, you know, if I don't have two weeks to go to Europe, I'm not going to go. And then they're 70 years old and they've never been to Europe. Get your butt off the couch. If you have four days, get on a plane. It's an eight-hour flight. By the time you wake up tomorrow morning, you'll be in Europe. And, oh, wait, you can't afford it? Sure you can. Sell something on eBay. You know, take something you had, sell it. So in fall of 2008, honest story, the world crashed. I had, had to let go of most of my company. Lehman had crashed. They were my big buyer of mortgages at the time. It was a horrible time in life, not the time you take a extravagant vacation around the world. In fact, I had a panic attack getting on the plane because I thought, what a horrible person I am for having taken this trip at this point. But it was November 2008, and um, I fly from New York over to Ireland, then I drive across um, England to my family's hometown in Wales called Juan, actually Weinbauer, um, fly from there to Bahrain and then to Dubai. And Dubai was in such shambles at the time that all the immigrant labor was flying out of Dubai. So the flight in was empty. The flight out to Mumbai was full. When I got to Mumbai, it was um, November 2008. It was the 19th of November. One week later, the terrorist attacked the hotel I had stayed in, the restaurant I had dinner at. Um, I flew from there to um, Thailand, where I was supposed to get off the airplane, but the airplane never got in because the airport was shut down because there were riots in the airport. So it was a horrible time to be traveling, and I shouldn't have gone in, in any type of rational thing, but I could. So I did, you know, and that's, um, that's the, I think, the difference is that people, people I found who have had lived extraordinary lives like you, they didn't ask why they asked why not yeah and um they just you know like the nike slogan as cheesy as it is just go ahead and do it and you know that is uh, a great point you know we open the show with with the quote from a previous boss from yours and and the story continues to accentuate that you know being able to say yes you know uh, security is so important for most people i'll say but you can uh, take opportunity, take some adventure, and and still still have your security, still have have that. But uh, still, you don't get a second chance at this. You really don't. And when an opportunity presents itself, I always think my wife makes fun of me because different opportunities present themselves, and I go do it. And she's like, you're not getting paid or you're not doing this. I said, yeah, but you never know what will happen. You know, the uh, I made a TV show and a big catalyst of that in 07 was a wrong number. A lady was a wrong number. And that wrong number ended up financing half of the TV show and paying my salary for six months because my sponsor gave me a wrong number. And those are the opportunities that come when you are open, when you do say yes. Uh, traveling at a time you probably shouldn't have, you saw things 
that will never happen again. That yeah. will probably life changing and really helped mold you or, or to make, help you be more empathetic to other people's plights of whatever they are and, and help you get to where you're at today. Uh, you know, those things, that, that is a great, great uh, example of taking an opportunity and, and just making the most of it as you could. I mean, truly, truly a time in history. I'm happy I went. The rest of the story that I forgot to tell you is I had a beautiful watch at the time that I made through a, a bonus at work, right? And I looked around. I said I needed spending money on that trip. I needed to have some extra money. So I sold the watch on eBay. If people looked around themselves right now, I went into a, a house earlier today that was just in shambles and the long, sad story, but I couldn't believe how many collector's items this person had in their house but they were losing their house you know instead of just sitting there like you say on the couch if they picked up those things and sold them they and weren't so atta attached to all this stuff right they they could live a much better life or they would have the freedom to at least have choices this person I saw earlier today had no choices because they had a stack of collectible things that they weren't willing to let let go of um, it, very sad yeah, and material things are material things. I have, in my spiritual evolution, over the last 10 years, I've gravitated towards an Eastern philosophy, and I, I meditate and do my yoga and all that kind of good stuff, and it helps me. Mm -hmm. And uh, material things are just that, material things. They'll come back. You have a memory of them. I have a memory of them. And, and even with double-digit concussions and all the crazy junk, I still remember all that good stuff that happened in my life. And material things aren't quite as important to me in my life as they may have been 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. Um, you know, you, you, you talked about the crazy travels and, and uh, just some of your coming up, starting a business at 20. And it, it's, it's been an amazing story so far. I know the viewers are like, what the wada wada? But, you know, with the empathetic view of things and, and a, uh, a family history in, in civic duty, um, you got involved with, with Birmingham at one point. And, and I love the quote, uh, I'm, I'm working on making Birmingham cool again. <laughs> what did you mean by that? Well, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of taller people, right? Uh, great foundations. And I was very, very, I've been very lucky and continue to be by just the grace of people like you, Gerald, who have come into my life. And one of them was my, my grandfather, uh, Hoyt, who was very civically minded. Uh, my step-grandpa, uh, Delbert Terrell in Charlevoix, Michigan, who dragged me to city council meetings at a young age, encouraged me to be the class president. My father, who was class president, you know, kind of a tradition of that. My uncle Bill, who passed last year, was a great inspiration to me. Um, he, he and his wife, Lorraine Juan, uh, redid the Station 885 in Plymouth, and a lot of downtown Plymouth they bought up back in the 80s when things were hard. And he had no knowledge of anything to do with real estate. There's no you know, history of being a developer. He just saw an old train station and said, shit, that ought to be a bar, and he made it that, and because nobody told him he couldn't, right? And even if they did tell him he couldn't, he was so headstrong that he just did it. Um, and, and overcame. My Aunt Lorraine loved dolls, so she opened Lorraine's Dolls. It still exists today. She's long since gone. She was the first person in Michigan to sell Cabbage Patch. Um, but that's her legacy. Um, I met with a, a friend, um, Tell, the, uh, yesterday, and he made this beautiful monument for his father who just passed in India. And he said, I wanted the monument to live longer than my father. 
so that it would accentuate his legacy here on earth. And uh, there's a story of the man and the horse on a statue. Do you know the, the symbology? You've seen the statue before, the man sitting on the back of a horse. But if the horse's four hooves are on the floor or on the ground, that means the man on the horse died of natural causes. If one hoof is up, it means the man died of wounds inflicted in battle, but after the battle. If the horse is rearing on both legs and the back and his two hooves are in the air and he's holding on for dear life, it means he died in battle. And I always ask people at the end of our tour in Pontiac, I'm like, which horse statue do you want in that park over there? If you're coming here with the intent to have a horse with all four, four hooves on the ground, you're in the wrong place. There's just way too much risk in places like Pontiac, Flint, Lansing, you know, parts of Chicago where we're doing business. Um, you should stick to those more proven markets. Today, it would be Birmingham. Everyone looks at Birmingham and says, oh, how successful Birmingham is. But when I moved there in, two, in 1999, great city. It was even great back then. But people forget that there was this place called the Somerset Mall who had just expanded. And all of the retailers left. You know, there were very few. There were a couple people like Cheryl Daskus with Tender. Um, there was, um, the, you know, uh, Mr. Sobleton, uh, Mr. Fuller. There was, of course, the Townsend Hotel, but it was very tiny at the time. So we formed something called the uh, Principal Shopping District Board. I was honored to be an early and the youngest member of that board for over eight years uh, when I was 24, 25 years old. Um, and I learned from these incredible people, including a world-renowned guy um, from Miami that you know, helped us put together something called the 2016 Plan. And back in 1994, I couldn't imagine what 2016 might look like. But Flying we, cars, right? Well, Flying exactly. Cars. Where's my jetpack? <laughs> um, but back then, we, we said we're going to have a farmer's market, and we're going to have outdoor dining, and we're going to have flowers, and we're going to have all the things that you know of Birmingham today. We envisioned them very clearly, succinctly, put them in writing. We had meetings of public together, and I practiced TM just as an aside twice a day, because that idea of visualization and then writing it down, knowing what you want. I've told my daughter for years, you'll never get what you want if you don't know what you want. And Napoleon Hill calls it a mastermind group when you get a handful of people together with a common, uh, sort of a common goal, but a common direction. Uh, amazing things come out of meetings like that, and that was written in the late 30s. It's, you know, it's one thing for me to sit alone and meditate about the things that I want to come to pass in this world. But if we do it together, it's twice as powerful. But if there's 10,000 of us, it's 10 times as powerful, right? If we could all be on the same track. And one so the, tenth of one percent. Um, one tenth of one percent. They had a. There's a study about it where the one tenth of one percent meditated around the Middle East, and for that 24 hours, it was the lowest crime rate uh, since they started keeping track. And as soon as they stopped. One-tenth of one percent. Don't forget that. One-tenth of one percent with a common goal, common commonality, common consciousness, which I'm a firm believer in. One-tenth of one percent can change the world and change the most war-torn area of our globe and, and make it peaceful for 24 hours. It, it can also go the other direction, right? Yes. I mean, so the, the rage, rage amplifies just as fastly as peace does. And, you know, I had a wonderful conversation. And it doesn't matter. I mean, if I have a friend. She's uh, a nun. Uh, runs a school, and we had this conversation about meditative prayer. You know, what we know as TM or the Buddhist practice is no different than a Catholic form of meditative prayer and silence and just kind of letting go, let God, let go of whatever it is that you want in this life and let, let the river grab you and take you away. Um, 
so yeah, I, you know, whenever you get to that point of what do I want Pontiac to look like, um, I've got to check that ego and start letting the world decide what we want it to be. You you had an experience there, and it's very powerful. And I didn't know that until today. And I, how many other people have had an experience that directs what that place should be? A so I, you know what what Lauren and I do at Pike Street today. What I like to think we're going to be doing for the next 20 years. Um, will be placemaking, will be allowing places to talk and tell their story, to be authentic and real, and to bubble up what they are meant to be. And, and just, you know, my, the banker in me wants to make sure that since money is the lifeblood of commerce, that the money finds itself to those good opportunities so that it doesn't die out without that river stream of, of funding to get there. So that connectedness of getting the right people with the right intent and the right vision that will actually put action and sweat behind it and then allow the place to be what it should have been all along before it got disrailed by, in the case of Pontiac, racism. You know, mm -hmm. people thinking that they're divided instead of the same. Um, you know, I don't care what color your skin is. Um, we're de genetically not that far off. And so, you know, you can kind of look in southeastern Michigan, we've got a real race problem and people are afraid to talk about it. Um, we've tried, I've tried for the last four or five years to hit it head on and say, I was born a white guy. I'm going to die a white guy. I can't change that about myself. Don't judge me by the content or the color of my skin. Judge me by the content of my actions because you don't know my character. You won't know it until you see my actions for a repeated long period of time. So, you know, those, those are the things that we think about today um, and that it's not so much about buying buildings and putting the right color paint on them to me, although that's really important and I like doing it, especially if you let me near spray paint. That's my new passion. But, um, but it's, I know some great graffiti guys who could give you a little tutorial you? real quick. Oh, my God. I know God. some great uh, guys from the Down River area who have done stuff all over the world, and they're, like, from Wyandotte, and that's, they are rad. Skateboard dudes who are making a living at professional graffiti. We started a program a few years ago called, called Canvas Pontiac because my family's all artists and I have no talent. But what I realized about them is they don't have money. Artists don't have money for canvas and supplies. So we'll provide the canvas. We've got Lauren and I have awesome canvas down at a thing we call the Allery, the Alley Gallery. Oh, very um, cool. And it's a really great, authentic, cool alley that's got lots of canvas in it. We'll buy the paint. We'll buy the beer. Whatever it is that you need to get your art up on the wall to express in our alley, we'd love to. Uh, this is an open invitation to anybody who's an artist. We ask that they do positive artwork that inspires uplifting thoughts and positive uh, attitudes. But short of that, we won't tell you what to paint. Um, and if a skull and crossbones is positive to you and you can put flowers on it, I'm okay with it. So we did have a guy who once put um, a skull and crossbones on a building. And I looked out my window at it, and it said, F the Fed. And having been a repentant banker, it first appealed to me, but then after a few days, I'm like, I don't like that anymore. So I put up a Craigslist ad, and we got a kid to come and paint over it. And he says, what do you want me to paint, Mr. Juan? I'm like, call me Bob, and I like the ocean. Give me something that looks like an ocean. So he painted a giant whale with a bubble that came out of the spout, and it said, Pontiac is for lovers. And um, all of a sudden, gay marriage came along, and, and all over Facebook, we had... We had pictures of people's wedding parties in front of Pontiac is for Lovers, this giant whale. So you never know, right? I mean, it, it really it appealed to a lot of people. So 
bring bring your graffiti ideas. We'd love to see them. Well, I want in. Um, actually, my uh, college education is in illustration, and I've done graphics for punk rock bands, pro skateboarders, my own companies. So I'm going to take you up on that offer and reach out to some friends who I know would beautify the city of Pontiac. Uh, that's that's awesome. Gerald, I, I have a six-story wall with your name on it. Uh, I don't know. That's like... Shepherd Fairy stuff. I'd have to think about that right. and do some research. But uh, but you know we're sitting here with Bob Juan and we're talking. You know you you talked great uh, about the history of Pontiac and I know that's a, a huge focus of the direction you're going. You also brought us a bonus guest here today. Can you can you introduce our uh, amazing drop-in audience to uh, our guest here? So one of my dearest friends and and business partner uh, came in from Chicago today we were bopping around and looking at real estate Lauren Guzik um, you know talk about dropping into your life uh, what has it been Lauren 25 years ago uh, uh, probably fresh, something something like that yeah fresh yeah. fresh out of college he I needed a fence built and that fence I drove by it the other day 25 years later the fence is still nice and straight and standing there so this is Lauren the fence builder yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for of dropping course. in. My you know, pleasure. Uh, My pleasure. Uh, this show is really about just inspiring and motivating. And a few guests have brought in different friends. And I'm like, no, bring them in the studio. Let's see what's going on here. And when he introduced me to you and we started talking, we have some common friends and some very common uh, uh, pasts. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for sitting down here. What brings you to town uh, right now? Well, uh, as Bob mentioned, um, we're partners in our real estate company, Pike Street Properties. And um, so just as a side note, because I think that this is an interesting story and in how things come full circle and inspiration. So, um, yes, I met Bob because uh, we had just gotten out of college, uh, was doing labor work. Um, my roommate worked for Bob at the time. Bob needed this fence built. Uh, Eric says to me, let's build a fence. We build a fence. Somehow, somehow, Bob and I kind of always stayed uh, kind of in touch. And I consider this guy to be my real estate mentor. He took some time uh, uh, to sit down with me. What's the, what's the hamburger joint in, in Birmingham? Hunter House. Hunter House at Hunter House. And um, he introduced me to the book, Nothing Down in the 90s. He told me uh, about the book um, Napoleon Hill wrote. And um, this was the gentleman who set me on my real estate path, uh, which I've been doing now for 19 years. And a few years ago, he invited me to Pontiac. I couldn't believe the opportunity uh, and what was going on there. And here we are today, business partners uh, at Pike Street Properties. You know, right on. The, the truth is Lauren bailed, Lauren bailed me out because uh, I, repentant banker, I didn't know anything about real estate development. We owned a house in Detroit we did. 25 years ago. That was, you know, houses were the extent of it. But when I thought about the smartest real estate guy I knew, um, somebody who really got urban, got cool type stuff, Lauren was the guy, and he came in with all new, review, renewed passion. We started a joint venture where we got a, 20 other guys together and started buying up buildings. And then it's just morphed because we owned a bunch of buildings on Pike Street. That's right. And it became Pike Street Properties. But, I mean, he really came in and bailed me out because it was a time when 
I had put a lot of money into Pontiac and I really didn't know what I was doing because the problem with being a banker is you lend money to a lot of smart people and then you watch them make a lot of money and you make a little bit of interest off what they did and then you think that you're as smart as they are. And, and the one thing that Lauren proves to me every day is I'm not nearly as smart as I need to be. Well, I'll tell you something you guys are proving to me is uh, you, you talked a lot about the, the, the mid-2000s, and mortgage bankers got a bad rap, a terrible rap, almost like lawyers, really, like they were stealing from everybody. And I have a great friend named Charlie Nusser. He is a mortgage banker in the Downriver area, and he is one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met. You two gentlemen are amazing human beings. For our viewers at home, when you hear the term mortgage banker, don't think negative. Think of Bob and Lauren here on the drop-in. Think of that. Bob, I know you, at one point, you bought 100 homes uh, to revamp them because there was no financing available. That's the empathy you have for people. Well, we, we bought them one at a time, or mm -hmm. two or three at a time, maybe. But they were very affordable, but one of the problems, so, so another mentor of mine once told me, he says, don't work on things where the problems are easy to solve because everybody can do that. Don't waste your life fixing easy problems. Fix the big, hairy, audacious problems that nobody else can figure out. The harder they are, the better they are. Otherwise, it's just not worth your time. Leave that to the, to the simple people. And you know what the um, raddest compliment is? is because you, you have quite the resume of, of taking on the big, hairy, gnarly animal. Uh, now... <laughs> Uh, when you bring up a, a project like Pontiac, which is, I mean, too many people, overwhelming. It's, it's such a, uh, a beautiful city in disarray, overwhelming project. Um, people don't, I'm sure they don't look at you and go, oh, you'll never do that. They'll be like, let's sit back and watch him do this. It's going to be fun, you know, because you have a proven track. You, you'll like this, Gerald. I'm, uh, so 2008, horrible, right? We're all walking around just shaking our head. 2009, still just as bad. And I'm listening to Deepak Chopra as I'm out walking my dog. And he says, there once was a guru who wanted to build a temple. But the, his followers said, but guru, you have no money. How will you build the temple? Where will the money come from? And the guru simply said, the money will come from wherever it is right now. And at that moment, a light bulb went off in my head. And I said, where will the money come from to finance all these homes for people that can't qualify for loans because they've, they've lost their homes or have short sales? And in this point, there was uh, Lehman Brothers had a big, um, uh, it was a huge three-story, three-tower, forty-story uh, project called the Canyon Ranch in Miami Beach, and they couldn't finance it. And I and I came up with a way to take the money that was already there and convert it into into mortgages, so the people who wanted to own them could get mortgages. It's basically seller financing with uh, with a New York twist to it. And I convinced the Lehman bankruptcy estate to give me and our company, which was two people at the time, a $200 million commitment to do that program. And the guy, when I first pitched it to him uh, in New York, uh, he took my presentation, he threw at me, told me to get the F out of his office. And, uh, and I did. I left with my tail between my leg, having wasted some Spirit Airline uh, frequent flyer miles to get there, and um, walked out. And I thought, you know, he turned away a really good idea. And, He'll call me. And a couple months later, sure enough, he called me back. We got the $200 million. We converted out the debt. It became the most successful, um, largest asset within the Lehman Bankruptcy Trust to be converted. And we only used a small portion of the money that was allocated for us to fix it. So with the houses, it was the same thing. It was, hey, Deepak, what was that again? 
use the money wherever it is today. So if you think you don't have the money to do something, you're either A, not doing the right thing, it's not big, audacious, and hairy enough, or you just haven't found where the money is right now. Just go get it wherever it's at. It'll be there for a good deal. And um, that's another Pike Street-ism that we have. Uh, is the money's there if it's if the deal's right. So Right on. Well, we're coming down to our last two minutes. This hour flies yeah. by. I tell Fun. you what, we could have multiple shows, and, and you guys are welcome back on the drop-in anytime. Thank Lauren, you. anytime Thank you're in you. town. Thank you. I would love to. Uh, we might have to get some instruments in here because we didn't even talk about your mu- music past, and, and this show covers it all. It originally started as um, music, skate, and culture. Mm. That was the three things we would hit on and by about the sixth episode it's like you're all over the map g just keep going with it (laughs) and now we're sitting here with bob juan and uh, i just can't thank you enough you know this is the tip of the iceberg and we will end up doing more shows as season two and three roll around because i'd like to talk about spirituality i'd like to talk about uh your evolution uh internally as a person because it's a tough life being in the financial world and trying to separate that and, and it's a juggling act i know as much as anybody i gotta go out and get as gnarly as i can on my skateboard and then go home and and calm it all down again you know and it, it it works together but if people want to check out what you're doing what is the easiest way for them to see what you're doing with pike street and everything else so probably our website and our facebook feed which is pspcre commercial real estate um we try to keep that updated right of course yeah, yes cool. pspcre.com all right so cool. definitely check thank it you. out thank you guys so much for being you. here and again you guys are welcome back anytime thank you cool. thank you for watching this episode of the drop-in it just keeps getting better i need a hat <laughs> it's coming <laughs> and i just want to thank you all share this with everybody you know and let's get fired up and make life happen i am gerald valley and this is the drop-in